welcome to the second in a series of podcasts called Bright Diamonds, which focuses on the potential of nurses to lead change and improve quality in the health of our patients and communities. Today, I'm talking to Hazel Stukeley, OBE, who is a retired health visitor from Cornwall. During the 1990s, Hazel and her fellow health visitor, Phil Trenoweth, led some multi-award-winning community engagement work in the Beacon Estate near Falmouth in Cornwall. But she didn't stop there, and has now worked alongside a total of eight vulnerable communities across the UK over the last 10 years. And in doing so, empowering residents to successfully transform their communities and making huge improvements in things like unemployment, crime and children's education. Hazel's work clearly illustrates that whatever your level in the organisation, nurses, health visitors and midwives can lead important and remarkable changes. She will draw out why she, as a health visitor, felt compelled to act and why she thinks her leadership was so well accepted by those around her. The importance of Hazel's work is that these successes have now been analysed and developed into a series of clear steps which are now enabling local councils, NHS partners and others across the country to make the big society a reality. So Hazel, you describe the Beacon as the Beirut of Cornwall before you started working um, with the community. Why was that? People that lived there called Mm -hmm. it Beirut. It was Mm -hmm. such a troubled, strife-ridden, violent, depressed community. We had incidents of pet torture, which um, I later found out is a severe um, sign of, of a very, very dysfunctional neighbourhood. And there was a lot of domestic violence. We actually had the... I mean, I know it's hard to equate this with Cornwall, but we actually had the highest violent growth crime rate in the country at that time and that was in 1994 per head of population we had shooting we had stabbings um, and there was a lot of intergang warfare Um, a lot of families were fighting families and it was mainly drug related but it was if I said children as young as four were stoning each other it was on that sort of scale it was a it was a community that was pushing the self-destruct button Mm. is how I'd describe it now I know that you were working alongside your your fellow health visitor, Phil. What was it that made you say enough was enough? Mm. Well, it was an extraordinary place to be a health visitor. I mean, the the needs were... It was like a bottomless pit of need, I suppose. And extraordinarily, given that um, statement I've just made, services were even being cut back. So we sort of reached a point where... I remember vividly, we used to get hands-on help from some people called family aides. They weren't trained social workers, but they were wonderful people with with life skills who we could call upon to support our families in need at short notice. And that service was axed overnight. And I remember, and Phil and I both said, well, gosh, when they've got, if they go, which they did, Mm. we won't be able to cope. So so who else was there? There were you, the two health visitors. Mm. Who who else was around to help? (laughs) It did seem an extraordinarily deserted estate, except for us. I think 
what what was actually going on there? It was even a no-go area for the police. Um, the police only went there when they had to to arrest people. I think it was a it was a community that ev- well I know it was that everyone had given up on and, and had put in the too difficult folder, and so nobody went there unless they had to. But of course, as health visitors, we had to be there. So so other people might have walked away mm. or said it's no go for you what prompted you to take action mm. when everybody else was saying it's no go yeah um it's an extraordinary thing isn't it sometimes it's something quite small that just tips you over and and in this case there was a a, a young girl called rachel lovely little girl a nine-year-old who was actually the carer for her family her mum was severely postnatally so she cared for her mum, she cared for the little baby and the stepdad was very abusive, mum was always being beaten up. Rachel was always calling the police um, to, to come and sort the situation out. She was such a strong little girl and the thing that tipped me over was when thugs, because her dad was a drug dealer and I imagine it was something to do with an unpaid drug debt, they butchered her rabbit. She was heartbroken and I just thought... I can't stand this anymore. We, something's got to change. And Phil, actually, had pretty much my health visitor colleague, came to a similar conclusion at the same time. We just thought we've got to do something. So how did you get started then? Oh, gosh. I think our starting point was quite important. We both started... Even though I'm painting this awful picture, I am painting a pretty bleak picture, aren't I? They were a minority. I think it was 17 families who were actually causing all of this... Um, strife and intimidating the whole of the estate and when when a community is as disconnected as they were from service providers it's a perfect medium for those bullies to to flourish Um, despite that Phil and I we'd worked on this estate for the best part of five years we knew it was full of strong people despite those 17 families amazing people they didn't know each other but strong people so we knew that the for for us and we were the only people saying this at the time the the residents were the solution and not the problem so that was our starting point so we knew they were they if if we were going to do anything about this estate we would start with them and that's what we did and what was the pivotal moment then we had to try and get the service providers back on board and so we held a series of meetings service providers there were they were there were a lot of them that went on the estate uh, they all came to these meetings and everyone we all were all of one voice we said gosh this is the, you know they all said this is dreadful but actually very few of them believed change was possible and they voted with their feet eventually we said we're going to set up the beacon project it's going to be resident led will you join us the police said yes local government said yes all very cynical very skeptical they said, you know, we'll join you if you can show us, if you can give us a demonstration that residents are capable of leading this, we will support you. Um, so the police said that, the local authority did, I think the job centre at the time, and a headmaster. That was very important to have education on the side. When we got that sort of commitment, we then felt it was safe to go back to the residents and say, look, we have got buy-in from service providers. From The police have promised to listen. Housing's promised to listen. We've got the headmaster on side and the job centre would like to help. But now we need to hear from you, the people who live here, what you think the issues are. Because there was nothing on this estate. There was nothing... There was no forum for residents to have any kind of voice, and there hadn't been for years. So we thought, well, perhaps the starting point is a Tenants and Residents Association. 
So Phil and I spoke to 10 residents each, 10 mums and dads they were mostly, given that we were health visitors, who we felt had the strength and the skill, if you like, to, to help us to, to lead the Beacon Project and turn the estate around. And we looked through our files and we, we just we chose people with that we felt had the resilience to and a sense of humour, that was important, and the ability to gauge their peers. All 20 said, yes, we'd love to help. So we thought, yeah, terrific. So we got 20 people. When it came to making that commitment, only five were brave enough mm-hmm. to commit. The others all said yes, but it was very scary. You know, you got your, rib- your rabbit butchered or a Molotov cocktail put under your car if you were uh, tried to sort of bring about change. But those five were amazing people. They, they'd never met. We still, to this day, call them the famous five. One was a severe epileptic. One was a postnatally depressed mum. Uh, Sean was a diabetic. Um, the point I'm saying is they didn't look like five people who were going to change the world, but they did. What struck me is that health visitors, because they have that privilege of understanding individuals and the family, can do that role in terms of judging mm. Mm. character. But but how would you describe the role that you took on thereafter, given mm. that you clearly thought that it was resident-led? Mm. Uh, and, and, and we're talking here about nurses in leadership mm. roles. How would you describe your leadership role? And you're, you're dead right about being a health visitor because we did know our families inside out and we'd been through child protection issues with them, helping them out of bed and breath. So we knew their strengths. We didn't want to be the upfront leaders. And I, I think we did it intuitively, but we became enablers. We created the enabling conditions for those residents. We connected them. Um, to the service providers, local government. When we found these, when when this wonderful famous five came forward, we connected them to the local authority, who immediately gave them training to to start up their own tenants and residents association. I've never seen five people change so dramatically and quickly as they did. Um, they became proficient at running meetings. They were evicting people. They had a voice. And they did something amazing. They actually, those five people, went and knocked on every single door of the wow. estate, 1,008 doors, so you work that out, that's 200 doors each, and had a conversation with each of each householder to say, we've formed the Penwares Tenants and Residents Association, we live here, but we need you to come and tell us what you think needs to change on this estate. They, they said to the Hazel and Phil, because we were well-known, they're behind us, the police have promised to listen, the local authorities promised to listen, and we've got the headmaster and the job centre on site. So please, would you come along? We didn't have anywhere to meet then. I mean, it was a it was an estate that had no social networks whatsoever, no, no organisations. But that was the joy of having Richard, the headmaster, because he opened his school for us, and that mm-hmm. sort of didn't happen in the mid-90s. So we met in the school. It happened... Sort of drip, 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 we held this series. We called them listening events, and we still call them listening events 15, 16 years on. Um, They were fun. They were a raffle, and gradually word got round that, actually, people are starting to listen to us. Let's go along. And, um, yeah, the, the one pivotal moment that stands out for me was, as I say, the first listening event, maybe 5, 10, next week, uh, 2030. By about week four, 120 residents came together. They were actually quite angry. I suppose there was strength in numbers, and 
The service providers were at the front of the hall. They all came in. Phil and I were at the back. We started as we usually do, tell us what needs to change. Well, it was an extraordinary moment. The outpouring of anger. It was like, a, it was like unleashing a champagne bottle. Grenville Chapel, Chair of Beacon Community Regeneration Partnership. So Hazel and Phil uh, seen the problem and they went to about 10 or 15 of the people they knew on the estates and said, come to a meeting, let's start something. Five turned up. They went out and leafleted the whole of the estate and met with Seb Coe, who was the MP at the and, time. And formed the Tennis Association. And formed the Tennis Association. So for their second meeting, they decided to say to anyone, if you've got a complaint, come along to Pumarasol and tell us about it. And the only two silly buggers that turned up was me and Jim. <laughs> Um, that was the first week. Then we had 120, eventually. Then when we got a bit more publicity going and showed we were doing things, then we had a huge meeting and everyone just... Uh, usually following it, the first one or two meetings, just slide the touch paper and let them burn. Mm. You remember that? Mm. Oh, we went to Sully Hall one day, well. It was fantastic, wasn't it? I said to the police were in the back, do we just stand here or do you get a riot truck? He said, I'm waiting here. He said, I might need a riot truck. And they just let everybody blow off all their steam. Yeah. And then when they all calm down and say, right, then let's start doing something about mm. this. Never tell them we're going to fix everyone of your problems. There's an answer, but it's not always what you want. Mm-hmm. Not everything you can have. They said to the police, you don't come on our estate. We, this is not what we want for our children. They're growing up to think, you know, graffiti and crime is, is a way of life. We've seen you over in the, um, the car park um, across the town, but you never come on our estate, they said to the Oh, they particularly said to the housing guy, you, you've not touched our homes for years up here. Um, our homes are running in damp. They're freezing cold. What, what are you going to do about it? Our kids are ill because of the state of our homes. And they said to the um, job centre guys, we want jobs. That's what we want. We know that if we, if, if we had jobs, this estate would look... Would, we'd, we'd all be very, very different people. Mm. So it was those three things they said that night. And it was quite an amazing... Quite scary. I was quite scared <laughs> in the back of the hall. I felt sorry for the guys at the front, but to their huge credit, he said, sorry. Wow. That was a huge moment. We, we've let you down. We've got to do better. It all dispelled, all the anger dispelled. Mm-hmm. And that night, we decided to form Beacon Community Regeneration Partnership. We, there was a sort of a, a, a strong feeling that we could do something about this with the residents in the lead but with the service providers again creating those enabling conditions for them to be able to lead change and that was a massive moment that night you you call your program connecting communities Mm. and Mm. i can tell from what you said that there's a lot of connections in Mm. there aren't there Mm. oh yeah (laughs) i became a serial connector we both did because because they were so disconnected. We connected everybody to everybody. Service providers to service providers, service providers to residents, resident to resident. And we connected them to other communities, but that's a little bit later down, mm. further down the line. And, and looking back, would you have done anything differently? That's a good question. I've thought a lot about it. We, obviously, we learnt loads. I think there was a point I didn't realise the effect, how burnt out. I'm thinking particularly of the famous five... I did my best to nurture them. They were amazing people. Two or three of them burnt out quite quickly and I wished I had perhaps protected them from from that bit of burnout. Um, I maybe could have done a bit more of that. They're all fine. They all bounce back. But that was a a lesson I learned. I also learned... 
but always always count what you're doing at the time make a record of what what's happening we were so busy doing stuff that we didn't do that and we almost got caught out at the 11th hour but we were able to we were able to capture data and so what sort of things did you measure for beacon i know that you mm. did it retrospectively mm. as you did mm. as you said there <laughs> mm. uh, you weren't thinking about it at the beginning no. you just wanted to make life better for residents yeah but but what sort of things happened what in mm. terms of measurement okay well, um, I've kind of missed a great chunk out, and I shouldn't have done. Um, very quickly, those famous five, that pen, that little um, tenants association, uh, put in a bid, supported by the um, uh, local government, for capital challenge funding. The joy of it was that we wouldn't have got any funding at all. We st- we didn't have any money. It was, we we started with thirty five pound fifty. That was from a raffle that the resident did. But Mike Owen told us about energy conservation funding. But he said it's got to come from the residents. So the residents, we put together a bid. I helped with the health stats. And within six months, we got £2.2 million. So the Beacon Partnership was was really set up to spend that um, £2.2 million. But but where, where, it, where it was so different from anything I've ever saw before or even since... The local government had the wisdom to give it to the residents to lead the, on the spend and to advise fantastic. on the spend, and that was quite fantastic. But um, so while we were actually spending this two point two million, and it, it's not actually a huge amount of money for a, a thousand and eight homes, but I know you've seen the footage and it made a dramatic difference: cladding and central heating and double glazing. And we thought that's what we were doing, and in actual fact, amazing things were going on while we were spending this money. There was a feel-good factor and um, organisations were starting to set themselves up but for, between the residents they were going self-organising and a community spirit was coming back and jumble sales, oh, bungee jumping, parent and toddler all sorts of stuff was being set up. But to answer your question about measurement, um, it was postnatal depression. Um, we, we Because we audited it, it was massive problem on that estate. Phil and I used to run organised groups of mums because we couldn't just do one-to-one. It was like one in four. And that gradually came down. So we measured that and we found that there was a, I think it was a 68% drop in the four years of numbers who had to be, had to take medication or were classified with the Edinburgh scale as being severely postnatally depressed. Child protection um, registrations started to drop. And over the four years, they dropped to a similar level. The interesting thing about postnatal depression, that dropped. But simultaneously, we saw an increase in boys' SATs ratings. Key stage one went up an unbelievable 100%. Wow. Um, and we know there's a link between postnatal depression and um, boys' cognitive development. But we could also trace where those boys' um, SATs ratings had increased so dramatically were in the homes that we improved so therefore the, the children had showers for the first time and they were warm and the mums were happier asthma rates actually dropped by half that was something else we audited at the same time you remember everybody's that you know the residents said we want the crime um, rate to drop because we had the police on our partnership every time we had a meeting there was a drop in crime at all levels so over four years the overall crime rate that's that's violent crime, car crime, burglary, dropped um, by fifty percent. And so it's hard and soft. You obviously have a number. Of, you have a number of stories mm. in in mm. there. 
And the other thing that strikes you is that it isn't about health care, it's about health and well-being. It's about health and well-being. And these things are much broader, and mm. as, a, as a health visitor mm. with, mm. with, with a public mm. health founding, mm. you, I think, intuitively mm. understood that. We did. It was about being given a voice and being listened to, and actually things happening because you, you asked for them and because you made a point. If you want a lovely little story, I'd love to not forget Rachel and her rabbit. Rachel, unbelievably, I've stayed in touch, but she's actually a health visitor now. That's I mean, she's extraordinary. So this is about resilience. As she became a midwife, she did work experience with me, and she's a young mum of two two lovely little girls. So, And that's, that's a beautiful outcome, yeah. isn't it? Now, now, people may well want to know about what's happened since then. Mm. I know that you've developed work with the University of mm. Exeter and looked back on your work mm. uh, and developed it into a series of steps. Mm. And interestingly enough, it's a mixture, it seems to be a mixture, if you will tell me, of, of clear steps, mm. but a lot of looseness around mm. it. Do you want mm. to just give people a flavour of what, what those seven steps are oh, and how they came yeah. about? Yeah, I'd love to. After the Beacon Project, there was obviously a lot of um, um, recognition and um, I was asked by the Department of Health to uh, spend a year with them, advising them how what we'd done in Beacon could be rolled out nationally. And to be honest, I didn't really know what we'd done. If that sounds ridiculous, I knew it had something to do with trust and, and respect. and um, But it wasn't until... Two years later, when I met some fantastic guys from Exeter University, I suppose you did ask me earlier if there's something I would have done differently. I wish, retrospectively, that I'd been able to research Beacon even while it was happening, but, but certainly after it had happened. Two, two years went by where, where I sort of... People were expecting me to be able to roll it out nationally, perhaps, or to know how to. How could I? Um, because I didn't know what the success factors were. I was too close to it. Um, yes. So working with, with X University um, and some fantastic guys who use complexity science as a framework for change, uh, they did two years' research. And I suppose the seven-step model, it, you could call it beacon in a bottle. It's what happened at beacon, and mm-hmm. we've, we put it into seven steps. Start with locating the energy for change. That's perhaps the famous five. Uh, it's, it's a di- dynamic, sequential series of steps that that produces energy it's a bit like momentum it's like a snowball gathering you gather the people you gather the service providers you bring them together in quite a quite a special way uh, you listen my goodness you listen um to communities that's that's the biggest thing we learned i suppose one of the lovely things we learned though is the the power of exchange visits and um, we we do call the program connecting communities because we actually do connect communities to other communities it's such a simple thing because we've got a tally now of about seven communities nationally where we've been able to honestly put our hand on our hearts and say those guys, those residents have led this community to bring about transformative change. We've got seven and they're all over the country now. But the ones that are just starting up, they often don't know what the starting point is. They can't see. the. They, they need to catch the vision. So simple. We just I twin them. I tend to twin communities that have got similar issues and I just take that developing community to the community that's transformed resident service providers they catch the vision hugely powerful it accelerates everything Townsville Community Partnership or TCP is one of the latest community partnerships that has benefited from an exchange visit 
Iris Pritchard talks about TCP's exchange visit to the Beacon Partnership. You know, when you went and, and you heard about what it had been like and what that had become and how it was working, mm. well, you, you just go away feeling, if they can do it, we can do it. Mm. Because we are, our estate is not as bad as that. No. And so, you know, we can only improve everything for residents and the community as a whole. Fantastic. What would be your advice, do you think, to other nurses? You obviously feel in yourself have obviously been very brave and also seem to use a lot of intuition mm. in terms of the close working relationships mm. you had with mm. those particular um, communities. What advice would you give to other nurses, mm. not necessarily working with communities, but, but thinking that things have to change? Mm. I'd say, you know, believe in yourself. That's why you're a nurse. You've developed these fantastic intuitive skills, these nurturing skills. If you feel something by intuitive, even if you feel, gosh, I don't know, nobody else is thinking this, but I feel that this could make a huge difference. You go with that. It's sometimes simple to think, I guess we were brave, and you've got a, a given, in all, particularly in this sort of scenario, because everybody trusts nurses. It's such a given. It's huge. I, I still, to this day, I'm so proud to be able to say, uh, when I go in somewhere, they've never heard of me, I'm, I can go in and say, look, I'm a nurse. This is about you leading, you know, this is about bringing healing to, to your community, and you're the guys who are going to do it. Hazel Stukely, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Heather. And the final word goes to Iris Pritchard of Townsville Community Partnership. I can't really believe myself how much TCP has achieved in two years. Because when we started, we were the, the few of us that there was were all so nervous, and the estate had the reputation of apathy. But we argued with that. We didn't think it was apathy. We thought it was negativity because people tried to speak to agencies and different people and just got nowhere and got nothing done. And I think, you know, their, their leadership and their input is what's made our TCP successful because they inspired us, they kept coming and joining us at meetings and if we had a hiccup they talk it through with us and they were absolutely fantastic. So, you know, I think a lot of credit goes to them and a lot of credit goes to us as a team because I think that's the important word, that you work as a team.